0: This audio fiction is recorded for an adult audience. It may contain scenes of explicit sex, violence and disturbing supernatural entities. Listener discretion is recommended. Come, lend me your ear, as I speak to you of the macabre, the cursed, the maligned, the malignant, the possessed, and the downright demonic. Bolt all doors, lock all windows. Are you alone? Are you sure? I suggest you check under the bed, carefully. Twice. (laughs) Episode 1 of Baratanak A New Darkness at the World's Edge (sighs) Book 1 of Fitzmarbury Witches Tainted Paradise Its cloak swallowed all shadows except one, a brooding shadow darker than the sunless sky. It possessed a name, one rarely and never safely uttered. Water was illuminated like liquid neon in the ancient creature's vengeful gaze, the human hand slicing through its surface over and over. Above the swinging limbs, its eyes lingered on a fluid electric blue that shimmered on the undersides of overhanging coconut palms and swathes of bougainvillea. In the swing pool's spectral glow, the foliage appeared to float, rootless and untethered. The creature hung there, in its latest transitory form, a void, a fetid smear of eternal sentient misery. Time and again it watched the human's head gasp, purging and sucking at the warm air. Stifled mercury tears of laughter welled in its undead eyes, mocking the mortal's stunted vision as he snatched glimpses of the darkness. A simmering darkness, about which it knew mankind understood very little, but had always dreaded. A besieging darkness, within which humans were prone and nearly always defenceless. Its shapeless mass convulsed and extended a dry, cracked tongue to savour the scent of fear, subtle but perceptible on the air, and oh so sweet... Every fibre of the creature yearned for fulfilment, but it remained patient in the way only the eldest ones can. The parchment fragment it sought was still to be found, a scrap borne across the ocean by blemished human hands, but it was so close. Soon the creature would be free to crush all the enchantments, trivial and otherwise, that the human had invoked and constructed. It wished to taste blood again, the blood it had been sent by another to reap. Close to the deep end of the pool, the creature lurked impervious to light, at the spiny, ragged base of a macaw-palm thicket. It pressed against their deadly spines, shivering with pleasure as they pierced its skin. With confident indifference, it neither recoiled nor hid from the doomed human. Indeed, it pulsed darker when the mortal's strokes brought flesh within reach of its talons. The creature wallowed in temptation's exquisite tenderness, changing its shape at will. A bargain made in Bloomsbury would soon be fulfilled. Dress, Le Papillon, Bathsheba, Barbados January 13th, 2017 Declan tucked, rolled and pushed from the side of the swimming pool, his legs taut. Bubbles fizzed in his ears and escaped the tangle of his beard as he opened his eyes and soared through the water. He squinted blinded by a light in the mosaic wall ahead, bright as a high-beam headlight. The house of the rising sun, by the animals, boomed in the lifeless spaces of the huge shuttered house that loomed over the pool. Its faint, ghostly echo escaped from a veranda two floors above, drifted down to the water, and vibrated around him. A soul-whistling frog watched Declan from the bottom of the pool. Usually arboreal, it lay motionless, feigning death. Still unmoving, its black pupils followed his regular angular motions across the mirrored silver membrane that separated the amphibian's quiet world from the brooding night of countless predators, for whom he was on every menu. Declan advanced through the iridescent water. No sooner did a thought enter his mind as he swam than it dissolved, each thought's departure heralding the arrival of another. He felt them, meditatively, as they passed on, light and airy as bubbles. He blinked like a baby into the aqueous other world, wondering, do they float away into the night, or do they drown here forever? Would that they did drown. On many mornings and afternoons the pool's salt water helped scrub his mind of voices that tried to infect the writing that demanded his full attention leave me alone declan would command in his mind yet they strengthened each night sometimes they would depart for a while but always returned he had always loved water especially salt water Most mornings he hiked down to the beachside rock pools far below the house. Bathed in the pool's spectral light, Declan paused. It was high tide. He heard the ocean crashing over the reef far below the house. Tonight he swam later than usual. His mind cried for the clear water of calm mind, though the crashing surf lulled him to complacency. In the mosaic-lined cauldron of the swimming pool, Declan's flesh and bones were the final ingredients in a saltwater stew of wind-blown twigs, leaves and decaying moths. Light faded across the ant-infested ceramic tiles that framed the vivid rectangular outline of the pool. Beyond sharp teeth and jaws stalked prey across black soil in the ancient ritual of life and death. All, though, shrank from the macaw palms and the Stygian shadow. Declan stepped from the pool, pausing on the final step. Hairs on his thick calves danced in the glowing water he reached to pull a towel from the back of a nearby chair, his wet fingers feeling the cool heavy damp still in its threads from his morning laps. He had intended to return to the house, Le Papillon, before the sunset leached to purple, but the crimson, orange and cinnamon streaks had transfixed him with their symphony. Somehow a spontaneous skinny dip in the pool became fifty earnest lengths. He rubbed the damp towel over his naked body, thought still muddy. Three leaf-strewn chairs' beds stood empty, parallel to the swimming pool, unsettlingly empty. Declan had grown used to them being occupied, not that he ever saw anyone physically in them. Since his first swim in early December, after arriving from England, he'd felt invisible eyes there observing him, For some reason he knew they were there, sitting upright and attentively cross-legged like the elderly Korean ladies he would watch play blackjack, legs folded, in their train seats from Seoul to Busan. He was an interloper in a place to which tragic spirits had been tethered as slaves for more than two centuries. In shadows and dreams he glimpsed them obliquely from the corners of his eyes. Only once did they parade around him in broad daylight, during a New Year party, there in Le Papillon. His landlady, Vanessa, owner of La Papillon, and mother of his old London friend, Chiggy, later declared them to be hallucinations. That day Declan had found himself rooted to the spot among a whirling procession of men and women. They besieged him with their abject despair, steeping him in it imprinting it upon him. Their eyeless faces were of every kind, an evidence of Barbados's tragic past. They included long-extinct Carib natives, Cromwell's indentured Celtic labourers, slaves by any modern interpretation, and a multitude of African slaves from a Babel of Nations, captured and sold just after the Celts, into a burning jungle climate which cut through Irish and Scottish ranks in droves. Doesn't it depress you, obsessing over all this awful history? Vanessa had asked, her face wrinkled with scorn. Haven't you got a juicy detective novel to read instead? The descendants of Declan's paranormal visitors had inherited the island, but still the spirits remained trapped by past injustices. Declan knew and felt those older souls, and how they clung to the hillsides where they died. Their bones are rotting here under my feet, he wrote in his notes one night as they gathered invisibly around him. They spoke to him through poems too. At the poolside, scrubbing his head with the towel, a thought troubled him. Have they watched over me, protecting me somehow? He felt bereft in their absence. What is going on? The bats are gone too, he thought, twisting his head to check the air above the pool. There's nothing here. The night has been emptied of life. Usually dozens of bats swooped suddenly and acrobatically to seize moths, that caught a disaster in the ethereal glow of the water. Studiously, he appraised the darkness around him, while his hand sought an amulet around his neck. A faint whisper in his ear wrenched him into focus. He spun around. Nothing. There was no sound at all. None. Declan tossed his towel aside and reached for a small clear bag at the side of the pool, his nerves singing He followed his post-swim routine and grabbed a handful of fresh bay leaves, rolling them between his palms, more hurriedly than usual. Bay leaves were a local folk remedy against insect bites, with much older uses against evil. He lobbed the first ball of leaf mulch into the dark, then, with his palms, rubbed the scent briskly over his tanned knees, thighs, and ghost-white buttocks. His chest rose and fell, "'calmed by the aroma. "'Twice he repeated the rapid process "'until his fingers ran the oily sap through his damp hair "'and kneaded it into his beard. "'At the far end of the pool, beneath the white walls of Le Papillon, "'a movement caught Declan's attention. "'Something swarmed in a shadow of ink-black intensity, "'barely discernible in its mass.' like some night-nest of black, metallic wasps. His eyes narrowed. What the hell? A cold sensation spread across his skin as he watched, unmoving. Hairs and goosebumps prickled on his neck and back and in the dense blonde thatch of his forearms. He focused ruthlessly on the impenetrable gloom, awaiting further movement. The darkness was blacker at its core one moment, then at its edges, then back in its middle. His heart almost stopped as he composedly viewed the tormented void which churned over and over on itself. It drew him in, possessing his mind and his senses. Is this really happening? whispered an unfamiliar voice in Declan's head, yet seemingly his own. His eyelids were heavy as lead ingots. He leaned back towards the pool water as he succumbed to the bewitchment. "'Aww! a A deathly wail tore the air asunder. The sound ripped Declan from his trance like a branding iron. His eyes widened, his body stiffened. His head swivelled, searching for the source of the sound. That was close, above me. Something scuttled on the roof tiles, knocking one free. The tiles slid, then dropped to the ground, smashing and scattering by the pool. He reached for the biggest shard. "'It was white and smudged with dirt on its smooth surface. "'That's not tile, that's bone,' he murmured, "'turning it between his thumb and forefinger. "'He raised his eyes from the fragment. "'Lord, preserve me!' "'Straight ahead, the base of the macor palms "'were no longer smothered by shadow. "'Where the black mass had churned, "'a lithe, unnaturally black figure crouched, "'braced for movement.' With the limbs and shape of a man, it seemed to consider its next actions with the air and primed senses of an animal. Declan robbed his eyes in disbelief as if seeing some goblin king spawned from his childhood books. A a a The wailing returned this time from towering tree-tops at the edge of the forest. The crouched figure sprang to face the sound, then sank into the soil. Where did it go? Where is it? Disbelief became dread. Declan grabbed the towel, abandoning his clothes. He fled across the first two stepping stones in the lawn, tucking the towel around his waist as he went, taking care not to slip. The circular flagstones were dull white islands in a black grass sea. Bushes rustled at his side. He didn't dare stop to establish a source. Panic quickened his heart. The light from the pool dimmed with each step, but was ordinarily enough to see him to the house safely. He had neglected to wear his sandals in the daylight, but now in the dark, the St. Lucian gardener's earlier warnings about giant centipedes returned to haunt him. "'I've never seen so many in all my years,' he said to Declan that morning. "'Not here, not anywhere. They are under every rock, in every crack.' He had killed hundreds in the past week. Make sure you wear your shoes, even in the house. Check your bed, too, and don't even think about coming outside barefoot. As he fled across the last yards of darkened lawn, his feet missed the stepping stones, his frantic toes plucking coarse grass blades from the hardened ground. Mercy of mercies, he gasped as he quickened his gait, anticipating the stab of centipede bites. He leapt onto the decking, then flew up the stone stairs, "'towards the wide and welcoming French doors of the house. "'Dread dwelled on every stair "'as he expected to be wrenched from his momentum "'by unknown hands, back into the dark, "'back into the swift, cruel whims "'and biting teeth of some unknown terror. "'He felt them reach and grasp for him "'just as they had on so many occasions in Fitzmarbury. "'He dared not turn to see if the shadow followed in his wake, "'as many had in those faraway London streets and squares.' Declan did not see tonight's shadow chase ably into every impression made by his bare feet, as if it were his own. The shadow sniffed at his ankles, aching to seize them, to pull them from under him, and to call forth the centipedes in magnificent, dark, shining profusion, to writhe over his body as the shadow savoured the blood it craved, better yet seasoned with the centipedes' flesh-melting toxins. for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe. I must leave you now, but do not despair. If you listen to the next instalment, the curse cannot harm you, but you must believe. Now pull the blanket over your head and be quiet. You are not alone. Shh.